Well, good evening. One more time. Good evening. It is so good to see all of you here ready to study God's Word. And with that, you can open up in your Bibles to 3 John. 3 John, John's third epistle. And in 3 John, our theme is very similar to that of First and Second John. But here it's just a little different because the theme of 3 John is to walk in faithfulness and in truth. In faithfulness and in truth. You notice the truth comes up a lot in John's writings. Now, I've talked a lot about John as we've studied, especially when we started our series of studies in the epistles of John. Uh, in First John, uh, we went through a, a very robust background study on John. I'll just say that we know that it is John who is the writer of this general epistle, one of the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ, mentioned frequently in the Gospels, mentioned and referred to several times within Acts and Paul's epistle to the Galatians. We know that he remained in Jerusalem as one of the leaders of the early church in the first century, and he appears to have retired to Ephesus, where he cared for the seven churches of Asia. Now, he later returned to Ephesus after he had been imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos. He had been persecuted, taken into custody, imprisoned, where he received the revelation of Jesus Christ. But he later returned to Ephesus, where he died, probably about A.D. 98. So at the end of the first century, having outlived all the apostles, and there are many interesting traditions about John during this time, but they're just unfounded stories, so I'm not going to go into them. But again, if you're really interested in more information about John, You can go to our website and and download any of the messages. The first message in the book of John, we did an extreme background for that, and then also 1 John. Uh, But for this evening, let's talk just a little bit before we pray about the date, the style, and the subject of this short, brief letter. This letter was probably written from Ephesus, presumably toward the end of the first century, around 95 AD, so within a few years of his death. It's written anonymously, by an elder who is generally accepted to be John the Apostle. And John is writing a private letter to a dear friend whose name is Gaius. Gaius was probably converted to Christ through John's ministry, which made him very special to John. Uh, He seems to have been a man of wealth and distinction within his local church, and he may have lived in one of the many cities that surrounded the city of Ephesus. See, Ephesus was a hub for ministry. Uh, Paul had spent three years there ministering to the churches, and of course, John as well. Others did as well. John is writing this letter, and I want to give you the background to the letter, so over the next two studies, this evening and then into next week, as we look at it, you need to know why it was written and what was going on, and it'll help you to be able to really, truly understand the words in this letter. You see, John is writing to commend the kindness and hospitality of this man, Gaius. He had cared for the needs of certain Christian missionaries in the past. And it appears that he was caring for the needs of these same missionaries at this time. And so John writes, and the background story behind John's writing this letter can be deduced by simply reading it, which we, of course, will do. A band of itinerant teachers had been sent out by John's authority. He was sending out teachers and missionaries. 
And John had provided them with letters of commendation, which was very common, uh, to the various churches so that when they showed up in the church, they would be received and accepted with the authority of the church. And among these churches was the church of which Gaius and another man by the name of Diotrephes were members. They were members of this church, and they're mentioned here. Diotrephes, who was in a position of authority in the church, whether he was the pastor or one of the leaders, we don't know, but he was in a position of authority, and he refused to receive these itinerant teachers, whereas Gaius did receive them. And so there's a severe rebuke for him, and we'll get to that next week, because he abused his authority by threatening excommunication for any that defied his wishes. Talk about a power trip. We see that going on in our world today, but it happens in the church all too often. It happened in this early church through this man Diotrephes. Now, Gaius alone had not been intimidated. He had shown hospitality toward these itinerant teachers, and when they returned, they informed their home church of Gaius's faithfulness to them. You know, there's something to be said for that. When you do what you're supposed to do, the reputation of your works for God, they, they have a tendency to follow you. They, they become your testimony among the saints. And that was true of Gaius. And so John is writing in response to that. John now is now sending this band of itinerant preachers, missionaries, out a second time with Demetrius, a man by the name of Demetrius as their leader. And so that's, this letter is being delivered by them. Demetrius brings this letter to Gaius, commending him for his past conduct. So it's a letter of encouragement. And he's encouraging to this man, Gaius, to continue to show them kindness and hospitality. You know, we need to be encouraged many times to do what we already do. We need to be encouraged to do the thing that's right, the thing that God has called us to, to do. We always need encouragement, and that's what this letter is. And he adds that he has sent another letter to the church with little hope that it will be obeyed. We'll see that when we get to verse 9. He actually sends another letter to the church because the church is being run by this man, Diotrephes. He's like, you know, I'll send the letter, but we'll see what happens. You know, it's really not very hopeful that it's going to make a difference. So he sends another letter to Gaius to encourage him. So he's encouraging the man who's doing the right thing, and he's calling out and correcting the man who's doing the wrong thing. John was certainly not afraid to do that. So that's sort of the background for this letter. Uh, because, you see, he's promising in this letter, as again we'll see next week, he's going to deal with that man Diotrephes. He's going to deal with him. He plans to visit the church shortly. He tells him that in verse 10. So the hammer is going to come down. So he sort of gives him a warning, but he also encourages Gaius. And listen, one of the hardest things to do in ministry or at your job or even within your family, it's to bring correction and rebuke. You would much rather encourage, right? If you have a choice, I mean, unless you're kind of like a weird person, you would much rather encourage people than to have to correct them. But you have to know, and we all know this, you have to correct people sometimes. And it's never a whole lot of fun. No one enjoys it, but it has to be done. And he plans to do that. But we don't have that letter. We have this letter, this letter of encouragement. So there is little doubt that all three of John's epistles are the work of one author. No one doubts that, and it's pretty clear that that's the case. 
The content of the second epistle, which we just recently studied, makes it evident that it was written by the author of the first epistle. And this third epistle is linked to the second epistle by their salutation from the elder and by its content. It's, it's very clear. The same person wrote all three. Now, it's important to note that John's second and third epistles deal with two entirely different situations in the church. They're almost polar opposite. Both deal with the subject of hospitality. However, 2 John is a warning to forbid hospitality to the wrong kind of guests, saying nothing about the right kind of guests. Whereas 3 John encourages hospitality to the right kind of guests while saying nothing about the wrong kind. So both have to do with hospitality, but one is you don't want to show hospitality to heretics. That's Second John. And Third John is you need to show hospitality to those who are truly preaching the gospel. Both also deal with the subject of rebellion in the church. There's nothing worse than having to deal with this. I'm glad to say as a pastor, very, very few times in 35 years have I had to deal with flat-out rebellion. Most of the time we deal with rebellion, it's personal rebellion against God. But occasionally, over the years, over the decades, there have been people that just, you know, they just didn't want to follow direction. They didn't want to do things in a certain way. And, you know, they sort of felt that their way was better. And eventually they found their way out the door because this wasn't the place for them. And that's fine. Maybe there's a better place for them. So I never complain when someone leaves, although sometimes we miss people, because God takes those people who don't belong here to the place they belong. And he brings the people that belong here, here. So far be it for me to know what's best for you. You need to figure that out as you pray and you seek the Lord. The Holy Spirit will reveal that to you. But, you know, it's funny. I was reading something online today. And it was, I don't know, I was, I was looking for something. And I, and I found this one comment. And the person was commenting on Calvary Chapel. And they were saying why they like Calvary Chapel and why they don't like Calvary Chapel. And it's funny because the reasons that they didn't like Calvary Chapel are pretty significant uh, things, distinctives that we teach at Calvary Chapel. And especially regarding the last days being pre-trib, you know, and and premillennial. So it's funny. They like the church, but they don't like uh, certain aspects of the teaching. Inevitably, what happens with someone like that is they find a place that they're better suited to attend. That's all. And that's fine. That's great. It's all good. But anyway, in this particular case, it was rebellion. People were starting troubles. This man, Diotrephes, was a real problem. And it's interesting because Second John addresses the spread of heresy by false prophets and heretical itinerant preachers, whereas Third John addressed the insubordination of a self-important official named Diotrephes. You wonder what's worse. Dealing with problems outside the church or dealing with problems inside the church. Both are bad. (laughs) You don't want to deal with problems. But as the guys who've been through mentoring or who are going through mentoring know, a a large part of what I teach young men and and not so young men in ministry is that you have to deal with people problems. And it's interesting because both of these letters, 2nd and 3rd John, deal with people problems. But if you give me a choice, I think I would rather deal with false teachers outside the church than those who are causing problems inside the church. 
that's certainly a lot more difficult, especially when you have self-important people who cause problems. And it's interesting, our, our mentoring lesson just last week was dealing with troublemakers. And so the lesson is to be a peacemaker. But being a peacemaker means you have to be at peace, to bring peace. But isn't it something when you have to deal with people who make a lot of trouble? Not a lot of fun. Okay. Well, anyway, the theme of this epistle, as I've said, is walk in faithfulness and in truth. Little bit of trivia. John uses this word for truth five times in this third epistle. There's only 14 verses. Five times. He uses it five times in the second epistle. And there was only 13 verses in that epistle. And he uses this word for truth nine times in his first epistle. You think maybe John liked that word? Yes, he used that word a lot. In fact, he used it over 20 times in his gospel, making it one of his favorite words to use. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Truth today is more precious than gold. You know, say wisdom is to be preferred over rubies, or, you know, wisdom is, is, is more valuable than rubies. Truth is more precious than gold. You get so little of it anymore. You know, the, the worst is that we live in an age now where when somebody just wants something to be true, they just say it's true. It doesn't matter if it's true. They just say it's true. Enough people say it. It doesn't matter whether it's true. We've said it's true so often that, well, it must be true. I read it on the internet. Someone sent me a tweet. I saw a video on YouTube, so it must be true. Sad. But God's word is truth. Amen? And if we're going to walk in faithfulness and truth, we need to be studying God's word. So with that as an introduction, I'll just say that this brief letter of 14 verses is divided into five small divisions. It has a greeting. It has a closing. This evening, we're going to look in verses 1 through 4, where we have a greeting, and verses 5 through 8, which is all encouragement. Next week, we'll deal with the warning about Diotrephes, and a commendation of this man, Demetrius. So all of these individuals come up, and then we'll close the letter. But this evening, as we approach the study of God's Word, let's pray. I know that's a little bit longer introduction, but that gives you the background that you need to understand what's being written and why. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. Lord, we are grateful for this brief little letter. We're grateful that you have given it to us in your Word. It's just a small note, really, and yet it says so much. It says so much to us about how we are to show hospitality and be welcoming to others. And Lord, it's not lost on me that our fellowship here is very welcoming of visitors. I see it all the time. I've experienced it myself. I've seen your people here be very open and welcoming to visitors. And I think it's one of the reasons visitors feel comfortable here and people come back. So help us to continue to be this kind of church. And may this encouragement tonight just fan the flames of our, our desire to be welcoming and loving towards those that we don't know very well yet and show hospitality. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so first we have the greeting. Let's look at verses 1 through 4. The elder, to my dear Gaius, whom I love in the truth, dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you. Even as your soul is getting along well, it gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. 
Now, the truth is one element of this letter, but you know who the way, the truth, and the life is, right? It's Jesus Christ. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by me. Those are his words. So he's the truth. So as we're talking about walking in the truth, yes, you're walking according to the truth of God's word, but he's the word of God. And so as we say walking in the truth, we're really talking about walking in Christ and the truth of Christ according to his word. I'll say this, if you walk in Christ, then you're going to live according to his word. Oh, maybe not perfectly, but your values are going to come from God's word. Your priorities are going to have their source in God's word. The things you say and the things you do are going to be in agreement with God's word. But I promise you, if you don't study God's word, this will not be true in your life. How can you be faithful to the truth if you don't know the truth? And how can you walk in Christ if you don't know Christ, who is the truth? Jesus said, thy word is truth. So I think, and and, and I don't think I'm overstepping my bounds here when I say this, the single most important thing that a Christian can do, and especially today, is to study God's word. And I'm preaching to the choir because you guys came out on a Wednesday night to study God's word. Let me tell you, even 14 verses or even four verses of God's truth is more valuable, more precious than four hours of watching network news. I guarantee you're going to get a lot more truth. And you're actually going to get lessons and teachings that, that might benefit your life and give you peace and help you to be patient and persevere as opposed to stress out. You know, it, it, it is not lost on me that regardless of your feelings about the pandemic and viruses and vaccines, that all you hear are scare tactics from the media. Everything is designed to make you afraid. Now, why would that be? Because fearful people are very easy to control. When people are afraid, they can be easily controlled. So just understand, when you listen to those voices, God has not, can I hear an amen, not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, right? But of love, power, and a sound mind. Imagine that. You know, I was speaking to someone who tows vehicles when they break down on the highway just yesterday, and, and he was telling me, he doesn't know what's going on, but he's constantly towing people who've wrecked their cars. And he says, either people are really distracted these days, which is probably true, because I don't see anybody driving and just driving anymore. They seem to be texting or reading their mail or who knows what else. I saw a guy today driving in a car. He had the earbuds in. He was doing a concert. I couldn't hear him because the windows were rolled up. But he was just like singing, you know, and he's, ah, it looked like he was having a good time, but he's driving. It's either that people are just distracted or he suggested that maybe people have been cooped up so long that they get out and they're just going crazy. You know, I mentioned this before over here on Route 21. It's like the Fast and the Furious. I mean, you drive, you just want to drive on Route 21? Just stay in that right lane because the left, the, the left lane and the middle lane, you know, it's like Hobbs and Shaw or Toretto or if you know the Fast and Furious movies. It's like people are zipping by, no blinkers, weaving in and out of traffic. Like they're going to get a gold medal if they make it to Patterson before somebody else. 
or Newark, depending on which direction you're going. And, you know, I, I grew up in this area. I grew up in East Rutherford. And I can tell you, going back to even my father's day, that has always been a highway where people drag race. So, all I know is people are going crazy because they're fearful, because they're being spooked, they're being scared, they're being told all is lost. It's like Chicken Little. Remember Chicken Little? I always like to use this as an example. The sky is falling. Something hit him in the head, so he decided the sky is falling, and he goes to Henny Penny and Foxy Loxy and Goosey Lucy, and he starts telling all the different animals, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. That's what I see today. I see the message in our world is the sky is falling. I got a better message. Jesus is coming. I want to encourage you. John is encouraging Gaius to do the right thing. I just want to encourage you. You're going to have to do something. And it's going to take a lot of discipline. You're going to have to turn off that news. You're going to have to get off that social media. You're going to have to listen to the truth. And I promise, I guarantee, if you fill your heart and your mind with the truth of God's word and truth, real truth, you're not going to be scared. You're not going to be frightened. You're not going to be tearing up Route 21. You know what's going to happen? You're going to be calm. You're going to be at peace. You're going to be in a place where God can speak to you and you can speak for God. But you've got to tune out the voices of this world because the world and its desires are going to pass away. But the world and the messages of the world will corrupt your heart. It's like loading a computer virus onto your phone or onto your tablet or your computer. That stuff gets in you and it destroys you from within. This, God's word, is what will keep your heart pure, your mind clear, and you'll be able to see what's going on around you and you're not going to be like, oh, Delta variant, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? And, you know, and, and some of you guys have chosen to get vaccinated. That's your choice. Some of you haven't. And, and I'm, I'm all too glad to support you if you're requesting a religious exemption. I've written over 30 letters. By the way, six for six on receiving religious exemptions. Six for six. Now, maybe some people got rejected and didn't tell me, or maybe some people got the exemption and forgot to let me know. But I'm here to tell you, so far... The six people, the six of the people got back to me, told me they all received exemptions. So, you know, don't be intimidated. If you have convictions, then stand up for what you believe in. You have to push back at some point, right? I mean, now, if you're okay getting the vaccine, that's between you and the Lord. That's fine. But my point is, if you have a conviction and you know what the truth is and you feel that this is the truth about your body and what you feel about it, then you know what? You've got to stand up for what you believe in. I'm willing to stand with you. But here's, here is the truth. The truth is the world will try to make you afraid so they can control you. Okay, back to our text, because this is what we really want to get into today. We're talking about the fact that we live in a world where the truth has been a casualty. The truth has been a casualty. You've been lied to so much. And we continue to be lied to by politicians and by the world, church leaders, doctors, the CDC, the FDA. What are we going to fill our hearts with if not with the truth? You know what I found? When I have this truth in my heart, I recognize a lie. You know one of the ways you'll recognize a lie? They sell it pretty hard. 
You know how I know I don't need an extended warranty on my car? Because I get about 10 calls a week telling me I need an extended warranty on my car. If I really did, they probably wouldn't be pushing it that hard. They push it that hard because somebody's going to benefit. It's not going to be me. Again, if you decide to get that, that's between you and God. My point is, I can usually tell, God's word reveals to me, I can usually tell when someone's lying to me. What they're telling me either tries to manipulate me, make me afraid, make me pliable and compliant, or manipulate me into doing something that's going to benefit them. Follow the money, as they say, right? So we need to walk in faithfulness and truth, and the only way that's going to happen is if we know the truth. So with that, as an encouragement, what does John say? Well, we've read this introduction, and John is writing to a dear friend named Gaius. He attends his specific church fellowship. Again, simply calling himself the elder without the title of apostle. He doesn't need to do that. Peter referred to himself as an elder in his writings as well. And I'll remind you that elders are simply pastors, overseers, and leaders in the church. That's what it means. In fact, the word elder is the word presbyterios. It's where we get the name Presbyterian Church, which is governed by elders. And uh, it really just means older people, because older people generally presided over the church in the New Testament. In fact, the appointing of elders was a practice borrowed from ancient Judaism. In Judaism, the elders usually watched over the people. Rulers were usually selected by the people from the elderly men in ancient times, that is, throughout ancient times, not just in Judaism, not just in the church. In fact, the term bishop, elders, presbyters, they're used interchangeably in the New Testament, so we're really just talking about a leader. And of course, John was the only living apostle of the original 12 at this point. He was over 90 years old, one of the last direct links with Jesus Christ. And in the province of Asia, the elders, those that were called elders, were generally men who were direct disciples of the apostles. And here, in this case, he was the elder of elders called simply the elder. Now, the term elder certainly applied. It would have no doubt immediately identified John. He didn't need to say the elder John. He just simply said the elder and everyone knew who he was. He refers to Gaius as a dear friend. In that word, you'll, you'll be familiar with this Greek word. I don't generally use Greek words unless they're familiar to you. Agapatetos. So the idea of love, you know, a dear friend. And it's not just like a friend like phileo. It's agapatetos. It's the idea of someone you love with the love of God. So that's what agape is, God's love, right? He loved this man, but he loved him in the truth. And he uses this word for dear friends four times in this brief epistle to Gaius. Obviously, he had a close relationship with the man. And the two appear to be good friends. And one of the other things I think is very important, and I always like to make application, because Scripture is wonderful, but we need to apply it to our lives. Amen? Stay in touch with your good friends that you love in the Lord, that you share God's love with. You know, if you're always taking in negativity from people who are not necessarily lovers of God, what's going to happen? You're going to fill up with all this negativity, and what's going to happen is you're going to start to think and act like the people around you. It will happen. Bad company does what? It corrupts good morals. So what's going to happen is if you're constantly around negative, fearful, complaining, aggravating people, then you're going to become like that. So what 
did Gaius need to hear? He needed to hear encouragement from who? From whom? From a man by the name of John. So maybe you're the person that God is calling to encourage someone else. You know, I occasionally will do that. When someone comes into my heart, into my mind, I'll write what I call an appreciation letter. I did this just within the last week. I'll just think of someone, I'll write, hey, bro, I appreciate you. You know, that's better than, you know, we're all going to die. Because that doesn't do anyone any good, right? It's not even true. But, but no, I appreciate you, bro. And I think one of the reasons the church, not our church, but many churches have been weakened over this last year and a half is because they've been separated. And people haven't been able to encourage one another face to face. Now, you guys have that opportunity right at the beginning of service, right? And then after service, to encourage one another face-to-face. And that's wonderful. We've talked about that recently. Here's the thing. You need fellowship. Studying God's Word, the most important. But just as important is fellowship. That is spending time with one another. Sometimes fellowship can be a little note. Sometimes it can be a phone call, a text. But, but generally, the fellowship that we receive face-to-face in each other's presence, man, it's, it's worth its weight in gold. So we're seeing that these fundamentals of the faith should not be challenged. They should not be abandoned. We don't want to forsake the gathering of ourselves, as the writer of the book of Hebrews says in, 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 in chapter 10, I believe. You do not want, or 12, uh, you do not want to be in a situation where you're all alone. So many people feel all alone right now, and they're going crazy, and there's no reason for it. And I'm so glad to see all of you, because you're not alone. Look around. We're not alone. And that's such a good encouragement. And that's part of what John was accomplishing by writing. They had a close relationship. This letter was encouraging a man he had a very good friendship with. And friendship or fellowship is extremely important in these dark days. It will carry you through. Now, he tells him he prays for the blessing of good health, interesting, and God's continued blessings in his life. You know, if someone calls you up and says, hey, bro, I'm praying for you. Sister, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you have good health, that things go well with you, and that God blesses your life. I know that sounds a little trite and glib, but you know what? That is a nice email to receive, isn't it? It's a whole lot better than the sky is falling, isn't it? Yeah, don't bother sending me these emails, you know, with the sky is falling, because I generally am not interested. I, I, I know what the world is telling us. I ignore that. I listen to the truth. God's truth. Okay, so now John commends Gaius. And listen, one of the things you want to get in the habit of doing is praise people. I mean, encourage them. It's so easy to find fault, isn't it? Husbands and wives, isn't it easy to find fault? Parents, isn't it easy to find fault with your kids? Speaking of kids, you're having a good time down there. That's Calvary Kids. Happens on the first and third Wednesdays of the month. So here's the thing encouragement, encouragement. We've talked about fellowship. We've talked about studying God's word. Encouragement. It's going out of your way to build someone else up. Pull them aside and say, bro, you know what? I know you got a lot going on right now. I know you lost your car in the flood of Noah. I know that all these terrible things have happened to you, but you know what? I just want you to know I'm encouraged when I see you in church worshiping the Lord despite the things you've had to deal with. I know your, your, your relative passed away. I, I know that there, things have been tough and you lost your job or your job is being threatened by mandates, but I see you here worshiping God. I see you here ministering in the Sunday school. 
I see you taking time out of your busy schedule to think about others, and I want you to know I'm encouraged, and I'm just going to encourage you. Are we doing that? Because we should be. We need that. We need that in each other's lives. Well, John commends Gaius for his good reputation as a man who walks in faithfulness and in truth. You know, his testimony gave John great joy in the midst of what was apparently a very difficult situation. But he wasn't afraid to share that joy, and he did. Other Christians had testified to this man's faithfulness to Jesus Christ, who is the truth. They had witnessed firsthand how this man lived for Christ, how he cared for others, and John takes the time to encourage him. John considered Gaius his child in the faith. John is an old man. Gaius is obviously much younger. And his faithfulness brought him the greatest joy. And parents, spiritual parents and parents of young children, when your kids, when your spiritual kids get it right, it gives you great joy. Gaius was probably converted to Christ through John's ministry, which would explain why he speaks to them, him like this. Now, spiritual parents experience a special kind of joy when their children walk in the truth. And John tells us that he's experienced that. And then he goes on to encourage Gaius in verses 5 and 6. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name, referring to Jesus, that they went out receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. Now, just a few comments before we close. John commends Gaius for what he's done in the past, encourages him to continue to show hospitality to others. Everyone needs encouragement. Some people have what I call the gift of discouragement. They call you up and you go, hey, how's it going? Oh, like, you remember Eeyore? You remember Eeyore from uh, the Hundred Acre Wood? It was uh, Winnie the Pooh, right? How are you? Oh, bear. I know people like that. It's just like, oh, man, Eeyore, come on. Just don't be like that. Be encouraging. Come on. These days are dark enough. You don't need to add to it. Encourage one another. And so he encourages him to continue doing what he had been doing. He had been faithful to care for the needs of certain itinerant teachers, as we've said, that had been sent by John. The news got back to John. In fact, they were strangers. And the fact that they were strangers didn't stop him from showing the love of Christ. Show the love of Christ to strangers, people you don't know. It is a wonderful way to reach them with the gospel. The world will know we are are his disciples by our love, one for another and our love for them. These teachers informed John in their home church of Gaius' faithfulness to them. You know, when somebody does something and it so affects someone that I get a letter commending that person at the church, I share that with them. (laughs) Hey, bro, I want to tell you something. Sister, I want to tell you something. Someone wrote me an email this week. They were so blessed. Their kids were so blessed in Sunday school. They wrote me a letter to tell me how blessed they are. I always share that with our leadership team. I always do. Now, he now encourages this man, Gaius, to show another group, a new group that's carrying this letter, a second group of teachers, the same love as he had shown the first group. He wants him to send them on their way, 
And by the way, when you say send them on their way, that would be to provide them with food and lodging while they were there. Okay? This was considered a sacred duty, and still is in the Middle East, but especially in the early church. Hospitality was a sacred duty in the ancient world. Now, inns, you know, today you stay at a Doubletree or you stay at a Sheraton or a La Quinta. Listen, inns in the ancient world were notorious, notoriously dirty, and they were flea-infested. They were horrible places to be. So that really wasn't an option, not exactly an Airbnb. Innkeepers were unscrupulous thieves that could not be trusted. So it wasn't even appropriate for ministers of the gospel to stay in these places. They depended on the hospitality of their fellow brothers and sisters. Now, he says to do things in a manner worthy of God. And to do things in a manner worthy of God is to do them as if you're doing them for God himself. So doing things in a manner that's worthy of God is to do things for others in the same way you would do them for God himself. Amen? That makes sense, right? Finally, John commends these itinerant preachers and their missions-minded ministry. He said, these are good guys. Help them out. Do whatever you can for them. They were selflessly serving the Lord Jesus Christ in their ministry within the early church. I want you to stop and think about it. Anyone who volunteers to serve in the church, anyone in any capacity, surely must be doing it for the right reason. I hope they are, but I'm sure they are because they're not getting paid. What does it benefit them? if not to honor God and to be blessed. They had given up the comfort of their own homes for God's call upon their lives. They they had probably used their own resources to pay for their travel expenses. They may have even raised support, as many of you have as you've gone on the mission field, from other brothers and sisters within their own fellowship, and they certainly hadn't received any help or support from those that rejected the gospel from the pagans, and John mentions that there in verse 7. Notice, he said, it's not like the world is helping him out, right? World's not, world's not jumping through hoops to help us out right now as Christians. You know that, right? It says it this way. It was for the sake of the name in verse 7 that they went out receiving no help from the pagans. Don't count on any help from this pagan world in worshiping God. In fact, count on hindrances and barriers to worship, fellowship, and the study of God's word. Because it's the devil that's pulling the strings. And you're just going to have to sooner or later push back. By push back, I mean do the right thing, regardless of the consequences. Do God's thing. Do the right thing. Now, you got to take your stand sooner or later. It might as well be right now on God's word. Don't wait till you're so fully compromised that it won't make any difference if you did. Well, they certainly hadn't received any help or support from those that rejected the gospel, so they needed to help each other. They needed to support each other. You know what's sad? When a church tears itself apart, because the world is already trying to tear us apart, the devil's trying to tear us apart. When the church tears itself apart, when Christians turn turn on each other and tear each other apart, we do the devil's work for free. Why are we doing that? Right now, our investments and our encouragement should be in one another's lives and reaching those that don't know him and need to know him. That's where all of our energy should be placed. They were certainly worthy, these, these individuals, these missionaries, these teachers, they were certainly worthy to receive hospitality from the churches in which they were ministering. Look what it says in verse 8. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. You know, it sounds trite and glib, but we're in this together. 
We are one body in Jesus Christ, and we need to remember that. There isn't seven bodies of Christ. There's the body of Christ, of which we're all members of one another. It is a Christian's responsibility to support those that serve the Lord and his church in this way. And I want to commend all of you, because you guys truly do support this ministry. You truly support the missions ministries and the outreach ministries of this church, such that we have everything we need. You know I never talk about money. You know I never pass the plate because we don't need to. You guys give so generously that we certainly never even need to mention it. And to be honest, even if you didn't, I still wouldn't mention it. Now, finally, working together for the truth requires that some travel and that some show hospitality to them. You may have the opportunity to travel, as I have on mission and in ministry, and receive the hospitality of others. You know what? That's a blessing. Learn to receive. Or you may have the opportunity to bless someone else who's traveling and ministering and support them in their work, the work for the Lord. That's also a blessing. But it's all blessing because we're one body. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this wonderful encouragement to do the things we know we should be doing, to do the right things, to study your word, to fellowship, to encourage one another, to serve one another. Lord, these are the basics of the faith. May we put them into practice for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen.